Well, hello, oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. And your co-host, Lexi. And this is Oddies on Elm Street. So, if you weren't here last week, we shared that the boy in the box has finally been identified. They weren't going to be announcing his name until after last week's episode. But, as of today, we know who the boy was. His name was Joseph Augustus Zarelli, and he was only four years old. <sighs> Poor baby. Police say that both of his parents are deceased, but he does have surviving siblings. Um, obviously, their names are not being released to protect right. their privacy. But police also say they have a pretty good idea about who could be responsible really? for his death. So, um... Of course, they can't release that information either because it's an active investigation, but hopefully we will finally have an answer to who did this after 66 years. Wow. When we find that out, we will let you know. So today, oh, I'm so excited. Okay, today we're going back to the Victorian ages, right? my favorite time period. Really? Yes, it is. Just because they were, like, super into the occult. They were, like, really superstitious. You know. Not just... <laughs> what? <laughs> just, just say it. A little stitious? You're done. <laughs> You're done turning your microphone off. <laughs> but yeah, so one of their biggest fears during that time, mm-hmm. was being buried alive. Oof. Most of the reason that this was a thing was because it was actually happening right. <laughs> very often. Um, because they didn't have the same embalming system that we have now. And, like, the medical community wasn't very... Is he for sure dead? Right. I think they so. didn't Exactly. They would mistakenly, like, declare people dead all the time. Oftentimes, though, it was just that these people were probably in a coma and would wake up to the unfortunate circumstances. I cannot imagine. No, that's... It's awful. So, during this time, the Mm -hmm. Victorian ages, there was a man named Timothy Clark Smith, and he was so afraid that he would fall victim to this, being buried alive, that he actually patented his own grave to prevent it from happening. The grave that he created for himself included a string that would run into his coffin. So if he were to wake up and realize that he were buried alive, yeah, he could just pull the string and a bell above his tombstone would ring. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Can you imagine being the gravekeeper? (laughs) Is that the wind or is that Gary? (laughs) Oh my god, that'd be awful. And and knowing, like, <clears throat> I only have this much time to dig this person up. That's that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. So, wow. the the wind thing is actually, like, that would happen a lot, I'm obviously. Sure, I'm it's sure. a bell in the middle of a cemetery. So, to prevent false alarms, he hung a window over his face. Yes! Isn't that wild? So, the window was... In the cement of his tomb. This way that you could, like, look down and see if he was really alive. He died and was not buried alive. 
So the window now just shows his dead body. (laughs) And people travel from all over to go to the cemetery. It's in Vermont to go see this this grave with the window. All right. Next trip planned. But it's... I mean, obviously, so it's, like, it's hard to see into now. It's all fogged up and stuff from the weather and whatever. But, yeah. I is just there thought... still a bell? No, the bell was taken down. I'm a... I mean, he doesn't really need it anymore. <laughs> He's definitely a goner now. He's been buried for quite a while. Another fear that people in the Victorian period had was having their final resting place disturbed after death. And... This is where that fear originated. Let's go back to Edinburgh, Scotland. All right. In 1823, after the Judgment of Death Act was passed in 1823, Britain saw a dramatic drop in crimes that were punishable by death. The Judgment of Death Act was basically just a law that was passed stating that judges were allowed to use their own personal discretion of whether or not somebody should be sentenced to death unless they had committed a crime like treason or murder. So if they were a a robber, usually you'd be sentenced to death for that back in the 1800s. The judges now were able to choose whether or not they thought that was fit for the crime that this person committed. So Hmm. treason and murder were automatic death sentences, but any other crime could have the possibility of death, but the judges were allowed to decide after this act was passed. Interesting. So with that being passed, these cases of capital punishment were going down really quickly, which is great, but since medical and anatomical schools were only legally allowed to use cadavers for dissection, um, Mm. these cadavers had to be criminals that were sentenced to death by law. So, obviously, that led to a huge shortage of dead bodies available. Do you know where I'm going with this? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Makes me think of the body farm. Oh, my God. Don't get me started. (laughs) Is that a real thing? Or is that, like, conspiracy theory? No, I, uh, Morbid did an an episode on it. That's in Nevada? New Mexico? I do not remember where it was. It was a long time ago that I listened to it, but, like... But those are like those are like, well, like for medical scientific research, right? And uh, also for, um, like investigators or whoever, to see like what happens like to rigor a body mortis and certain like conditions and time and all these different things, so that they have an easier time. But um, those are people that have willingly donated their bodies, correct? I I do believe so. Because I saw a video where somebody was, like, on the outskirts of the campus where they have the body farm, and there was literally just, like, a body out in the open, and I think it was one of those things where they want to see how long a body takes to decompose and the sunlight or whatever. So that they can see, like, okay, yeah, yeah so when they this. show up to a scene, they know okay, this person has been dead for this long because of these conditions right. or whatever. Right, Huh, that's interesting. I, w- I want to look into that now. I wasn't sure if it was, like, a real thing or if it was a conspiracy theory or what. I've never, like, looked into it to know if it was real or not. Have you listened to that episode? Also, shout mm-hmm. out to Morbid. Love. Love. We love Morbid. 
If only one day. If only one day. I could compare. I could be worthy. <laughs> A research facility where decomposition of humans and other animals can be oh. studied in a variety of so settings. So it's a real thing. That's so... Can you imagine, like, sharing property with them? Like... Just your your <laughs> Your backyard <neighbors>. ends <laughs> at their body farm? I think a bird brought over something. Oh my god. Can <laughs> my you imagine? my dog got in. You have, like, a toe in your... <laughs> in your sidewalk? Oh my god. Oh, it says that there's one in, uh... At Northern Michigan University. There are multiple? Also, side note, there's a torture museum in Chicago, and I've been wanting to go for so stinking long. Oh, my God. But for some reason, no one wants to go with me. I want to go. First of all, I love Chicago. used to go there every year. And secondly, I love torture. (laughs) Right. The perfect trip. Yeah. Let's do it. If anyone has been... You have comments. <laughs> I'd love to know. Is it um, worth my time? I got I to go to a dungeon, like a castle dungeon. That was like the best experience of my life. The line was so long, but I was like, "You're going." I'll camp out. I don't care. It was so cool. With uh, so cool. Miller. Yeah, when we went to Ireland. So cool. Oh gosh. Wish I could go back. Anyways, um, fun. yeah. Sorry. So yeah. No more dead bodies. <laughs> this was this was actually a problem though, because, yeah. you know, the Victorian ages were like a big time for medical advancement. So this is where those who went by the name of resurrectionists came in. Resurrectionists were grave robbers. That and the most infamous grave robbers were themselves in Edinburgh, Scotland. William Burke and William Hare were both from the north of Ireland and moved to Scotland to work on the Union Canal. Burke had abandoned his wife and two children back in Ireland. Oof. The two of them had met and become close friends when Burke had moved in with his mistress, Helen, and lived on the same street as Hare. Hare ran a boarding house on that street with his wife, Margaret. In December of 1827, one of Hare's elderly tenants had passed away. This tenant still owed four pounds in rent, which would be $4.90. And in today's time, I did all the math. In yeah, this, that's what I was, I was hoping for. In today's for. time, that would be worth about $146 or 119 pounds. So in order to cover his outstanding debt, Burke and Hare had weighed the man's coffin down with tree bark prior to his funeral, and took his body to the medical school at Edinburgh University. It was here that they were first introduced to Professor Robert Knox, a popular lecturer of anatomy. Dr. Knox paid the pair seven pounds and ten shillings, or eight dollars and seventy-one cents, for the old man's body, which today would be about two hundred and sixty dollars, or two hundred and twelve pounds. After this, they were like, wow, this is easy. So, in 1828, another one of Hare's tenants became ill, but him and Burke became too impatient to wait and see if the tenant would actually die, so they took it upon themselves. They gave him a large amount of whiskey, and then they suffocated him while restraining him. Oh my god! This became their favorite method of execution, as it left the body unmarked and undamaged for the students of the university to dissect. So now, 
they've run into a problem. They have no more sick tenants. So what they did was started to entice new victims to their lodging house, specifically targeting Edinburgh's poorest communities. This way, their victims were less likely to be reported missing or to be recognized. In total, Burke and Hare are said to have murdered at least 16 people for between 7 to 10 pounds per body. That's about $8.50 to $12.25, or about $250 to $300 in today's world. Per person. Per person. One of their victims, however, had managed to escape. A local sex worker named Janet Brown and her friend Mary Patterson were invited to stay with Burke. Janet excused herself early in the evening, but when she returned, she found that her friend Mary was missing. She was told that Mary and Burke had decided to step out, so she stayed around waiting for her to return, but eventually decided to leave, and this decision most likely saved her life. What Janet didn't realize is that Mary's dead body lay just in the next room. They also killed an elderly grandmother by overdosing her on painkillers. Hare then murdered her blind grandson by breaking his back across his knee. What? Yeah, they're messed up people. Burke and Hare began to get greedy, and with greed comes carelessness. A number of Dr. Knox's students were said to have recognized Mary and two other sex workers murdered by Burke and Hare. So rumors about the pair began swirling. The rumors were confirmed when James Wilson was brought to the university. James Wilson was a very well-known children's entertainer and was recognized because of his handicap. Dr. Knox strongly denied the identity of James Wilson's body and is said to have quickly removed his head and his deformed foot during the dissection to stop the speculation. So that's why I'm saying I think he knew. He, mm-hmm. But he was like, nope, need these bodies. I need to be able to teach these students. I don't care how I get them, which is just as messed up. So in 1828, Burke and Hare had a falling out after an argument. The argument took place because Burke began to get suspicious that Hare and his wife, Margaret, were cutting them out of deals with Dr. Knox. So Burke and his mistress, Helen, began taking in their own lodgers. On Halloween, Burke and Hare's last victim, a woman named Marjorie, was invited to stay with Burke and Helen on the pretense that she was a distant relative of Burke's mother. Burke's other lodgers, a couple named James and Anne Gray, were invited to stay temporarily at Hare's boarding house so the murder could take place without them witnessing it. When James and Anne Gray returned to Burke's Lodge the next day, they were told that Marjorie had been asked to leave because she became flirtatious with Burke. The couple became suspicious when they were told not to enter the spare room where they had left their belongings. When they were left alone, they entered the room and found Marjorie's dead body hidden under the bed. The couple then confronted Helen about this discovery, and she tried bribing them with 10 pounds a week if they agreed to keep it to themselves, but the Greys refused and reported the murder to the police. By the time the police had responded to the lodge, Marjorie's body had already been taken and sold to Dr. Knox. Burke and Helen, along with Hare and Margaret, were all arrested 
but each of them gave conflicting accounts about what exactly had taken place. This is when Burke and Hare begin to turn on each other, each one of them casting blame on the other. The investigation led police to Dr. Knox and James Gray, the man who was staying Mm -hmm. at the lodge when they found the last victim. He identified the body that he saw in the lecture hall as Marjorie. After reading about the murder in the local newspaper, Janet Brown Mm -hmm. later identified clothes found at Hare's lodging house as belonging to her missing friend, Mary Patterson. However, police had little hard evidence to prove that the crimes had been committed. Eventually, Hare was offered immunity, but in return, he needed to testify against Burke and Helen, and he happily accepted. The trial began on Christmas Eve in 1828, and both Burke and Helen were charged with Marjorie's murder. Burke was also charged with the murder of Mary Patterson and James Wilson. While Helen's complicity in Marjorie's murder was deemed not proven under Scottish law and she was set free, Burke's sentence was much worse. Death by hanging. Oof. William Burke was hanged on January 28th, 1829 in front of a huge crowd of over 25,000 people. That's a lot. And after being put on public display, his body was donated to medical science. (laughs) Fittingly enough, a group of anatomy students took souvenirs of his skin, using it to bind books and card holders. (gasps) Which, like, Mm. why? (laughs) Why? Why? Look at this book I have. <laughs> made for me in the flesh. <laughs> okay. Burke's body is still on display at the Surgeon's Hall in Edinburgh next to his death mask. Wait, death mask? Yeah. You've never heard of death masks? I actually think they're pretty cool. Let me hear. It's literally like they cast your face when you're dead. Oh. <laughs> and they make a mask out of it. The most famous one is a a girl that they called Anne. She was like 13 years old and she's thought to have committed suicide in the, it's like the Seine River in France, in Paris. Anyways. Don't, don't look at me. I don't so know. she jumped to her death from the bridge Oy. and um, she drowned. And they, when they took her body out, she looked so peaceful. They made a a death mask from her face. Her death mask went on to become the dummy that they do CPR on. <gasps> and then the, you know, the Michael Jackson song, Annie, are you okay? You okay? You okay, Annie? That's about Rasuski Ann. Isn't that crazy? All because of a, a little oh, girl suicide. That is. Yeah. That is so that's fucked. what a death mask is. They basically just plaster your face once you're dead so that they have. You know, they didn't have photography back then, so this is, like, a way to preserve what you looked like. It, is that still a thing? Like, is that what people... I don't know. Because I would, I would be fairly upset. And also, if I was trying to learn on that, I would be obs- concerned that she would not be happy with me. I would be pissed if I yeah. committed suicide and they're like, wow, you're beautiful. Let me have... Right. That's the reason they did it is because they thought she looked so beautiful and, like, at peace. And, and that's... And that's, so they patented... Mm. I guess, like, the guy who created the CPR dummy, he, mm-hmm. like, 
walked into they made thousands of prints of this girl's death mask and like people held they hung it on their walls as decoration so the guy who created the cpr dummy he went over to somebody's house and they had the picture of the death mask hanging in their house and he was like wow that's such a beautiful whatever and so he took that and patented the cpr dummy what? isn't it it's it's strange it's like a huge train of events that yeah this girl suicide triggered but yeah, i think they call her rasuski ann but i could be saying that wrong um but they call her the most kissed face of all time because of cpr right this 13 year old girl who committed suicide mm-hmm. it's wild They're, hmm, i don't know how i feel about that it's for sure wild yeah, so, um, oh he sorry, is, sorry, sorry. he's now on display. I, I don't know if the Surgeon's Hall in Edinburgh is, why do I keep saying it like that? I don't know if that's the same place as where they were selling their bodies to, but it would be very ironic if it was, because now his body is put on display in that same place. Wow. With his death mask. The, the death mask, do they, like, paint it? Or is no, it just like it's just white. Shape? Okay. Yeah, it's just the shape. So, despite his involvements in the murders, Hare was released. He gained immunity for turning against Burke, right? He was released in February 1829 and he escaped across the border to England. No one knows exactly what happened to him, but it was rumored that he was thrown into a lime quarry by an angry mob, and he's said to have lived the rest of his days as a blind beggar. On the streets of London. Both Helen and Margaret also fled Edinburgh, with Helen said to have immigrated to Australia and Margaret to Ireland. Despite public outrage, Dr. Knox was also cleared of any involvement. What? Yeah. But with his reputation in ruins, he moved to London to try his best salvaging his medical career. For a long time, it was rumored that Burke and Hare were stealing bodies straight from their graves. This was before people realized that they were actually just mm, serial killers. That's where we're circling. Okay. Yep. So yep. the spread of grave robbing, you know, mm-hmm. became a scary thing for people back then. And people were even putting like iron bars across their coffins because they were worried about this. That's freaky. The Burke and Hare murders led to the Anatomy Act of 1832. This gave doctors, anatomy lecturers, medical students, better access to cadavers by allowing for the legal donation of bodies to medical science, which is what we still do today. Well, that's... So this put an end to grave robbing altogether. Well, for that purpose, right. Unless you're a psychopath. Which, you know... There are many. There are so many. Very <laughs> interesting. I was not expecting that, ma'am. Yeah! Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hopefully. Hopefully. And, um, oh, remember to always keep Keep it it spooky. spooky.